prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dirty! burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're gonna be like blown out of the water but you just go no I just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers Penis again just showing himself he's found space but not seem to exist but Luce is there oh my goodness he's gone and done it again oh what about that now then everybody I am Tom Ramsey and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast the Edge is a performance cycling company based in East Yorkshire and it is my greatest pleasure to have you listening to me today whether you're currently out riding your bike in the lanes or simply on your commute to work in the car. This podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology and much much more. Every single podcast that I do will also feature a Q&A section too and you can submit these questions by sending me a message on any of my social media channels. Without further ado, let's begin. Hello everyone and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast episode number 15. Today's podcast will be mainly talking about a recent race I did, um, which is the Yorkshire Mountain Bike Marathon. The Yorkshire Mountain Bike Marathon is an 80-kilometer mountain bike race, uh, which starts at Birdsell Estate in North Yorkshire, and it takes in um, mainly off-road riding, a little bit of road as well, but very short, sharp, steep climbs, uh, technical descents, a lot of single track racing um, and yeah intertwined with a little bit of kind of uh, forest roads and uh, a little bit of roads as well. Um, it's a very very tough race which I've done three times in total so far and um, yeah this this year was probably one of the toughest races um, that I've done in a long long time. Um, so today I'm going to kind of talk you through um, what happened this year, um, my pre preparation going into the race um, and how it compared to previous years. Before I start, start I'll just set the scene. Um, today it is Tuesday morning at uh, quarter to 11. So far today, um, I was up fairly early today um, and I went to do a uh, a gym session first thing this morning. Um, I did it completely fasted, just with a, a black coffee and uh, and a bit of extra caffeine. I then came home and had a decent breakfast, and I had two back-to-back -back client Zoom calls, one at 8 o'clock and one at 9 o'clock. Um, did a couple of emails, and now I've just sat back down in the office and... Uh, Ready to start the, uh, the the podcast today. I've been meaning to do this kind of podcast for a little while, little while uh, just a little race review kind of podcast. And there hasn't been many races on the calendar that I've been able to to do. Now, I would have loved, I would have loved to be sitting here today, talking about this race in a very positive way, talking about this race, saying, "Oh, it was a fantastic race. I performed amazingly." potentially even won the race um, and was really happy with my performance. But to be honest, 
it's a completely different story and it's not a story i would i like to tell or enjoy telling um because you know nobody likes to talk about the the bad races they only like to talk about the good races but um but yeah hopefully you'll take a little bit from this podcast um learn from it as much as i will be learning from it and um for anyone who has done the marathon before or is doing this mountain bike marathon or similar events in the future taking my mistakes and uh, learning from them in a positive way um i'm just going to take a sip of my coffee today is a today is an iced coffee uh, it is friggin maffed in today as it has been for the past few few uh, few weeks and yeah i've started getting to the routine of making my own iced coffee which is literally i make myself a i do a bit of a an easier way of doing it i used to do um, a double espresso shot and then let wait for it to cool and then pour some cold water and ice and uh, a bit of oat milk over the top now i've realized that if i make a big cafetiere worth of strong coffee um, and leave that in the fridge then i can then uh, pour like little mini espressos um, and don't have to wait for coffee to cool before i can make my um, iced coffee so yeah there's a side tip for you so i've got um a nice coffee next to me which i'm going to take a sip of now and yes i do exaggerate my slurping when i'm on the podcast i don't normally slurp like that <laughs> um and um and yeah let's get cracking now um before i start talking about this year's event and the preparation i went into for this year i'm actually just going to recap on a previous year now the yorkshire mountain bike marathon is an event which i actually quite like to target in my calendar now the reason for that is i really enjoy mountain bike racing i really enjoy uh, endurance mountain bike racing and it's a fantastic course run by a fantastic group of people really really well organized event huge credit to them um they have been running it. I think this was the third year. No, was this the third year or fourth year? This might be the fourth year they've managed to run it. Um, they've been running it for five years, but last year it wasn't on because of COVID. So um, to run through my results, the first year that they did it, I entered it. And to put it bluntly, I would have won but I went slightly wrong on the course. I went a slightly wrong direction, took a wrong turn um, at an area which was arguably not that well signposted, a bit confusing. And when I had red mist, I went the wrong way. Completely my fault. Um, and I ended up doing about 10k short. Now, I would have won that event, but I went, I cut, essentially cheated and I cut the course by accident. So I didn't win that event. Um, the second year they ran it, I went in there with really good preparation, really good training, and I won the event. That year, it was, quite frankly, um, one of the best races I've ever had in my life, and I'll talk to you about that in a second. The third year that I did it, um, I went in there with maybe quite not as good preparation tra training-wise. There was also a lot better riders there as well. And I ended up getting, I think, fifth in the event. Um, and then this year, I went and did it, and it was a complete catastrophe. And I'll tell you about that in a second as well. 
Now, before we go into those latter events, I'm going to talk a little bit about that year I won it. Now, that year I won it, um, like I say, it was probably the best year, best race in my life. And the reason for that is I went in there really well prepped. Um, Training-wise, I'd done a lot of specific training for it. Um, and yeah, I was, I was fit that year. I think that was 2019 I won it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I was, I was, I was very well prepared for the race, um, body weight, um, bear in mind the kind of event you have to be quite critical with your weight because there's a, a lot of, uh, steep, long climbs body weight. I was hovering around 75 kilos. Um, for those who don't know, I'm six foot two, six foot three tall. So fairly lean at, at that kind of height. Um, but yeah, also I'd done a lot of specific training in preparation for the event. And I'm not going to talk about the specific training too much uh, on today's podcast. How the race went, um, I set off, I got a good start and um, I, yeah, soloed to victory. Uh, there was a couple of riders who were trying to keep with me for the start. Um, and uh, yeah, I took off and I and I won that event. Um I definitely had what we call um, flow sensation that day. Um, so for anybody who isn't aware, um, the flow sensation is basically um, a sensation where you are in kind of uh, positive uh, psychology. So, so flow psychology, sorry, flow state um, is kind of, what we call being in the zone. Now, some of you may be able to relate to what I'm saying here. Some of you may not. Now, um, flow state is very, very much a, a psychological um, uh, place. It's a psychological state, um, and it is what people describe as when they're they're being in the zone. Um, basically, it's a, a state where. Um, and I've talked about it before in some of my other podcasts, but it's a, it's a it's a state where a person is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, with full involvement and enjoyment in the process of the activity. So, in essence, flow is characterized by a complete absorption in what do, in what one does, and this is um, resulting transformation in one's one's self of uh, sense of time. So um, the flow state ha uh, shares many characteristics with uh, hyper-focus. So um, it's kind of um, described as this positive light. Um, so flow state, the, the best way to describe how I was feeling that day is no matter how hard I pushed, no matter how hard I tried, it didn't get any harder. My legs felt incredible um i was well hydrated well fueled i felt on top of the world i could get in and out of the saddle i could accelerate i could respond to the t terrain i could respond to stimuli and i was just fully immersed in in the sensation now you can typically only get to that state when you're on form and when you've got good fitness and everything was absolutely singing and dancing that year and it was fantastic feeling so 
not only from um, a fitness perspective, being able to climb well, but also on the descents as well. You know, I was able to focus on my lines, focus on how I navigate the descents um, and be fully at one with the trail 100% of the time. Um, now, that race, um, I finished uh, in, in such a, a good positive way and i was i was so 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 chuffed with my result um i remember after the result after the sorry after the race i I crossed the finish line um and everyone was clapping and saying well done and everyone was amazed by how quickly i got in and finished the race um and i set the course record that year um it was a real uh, dry day and uh and yeah it was just all in all it was such a, a fantastic event now uh, before I forget, I will actually link up my Strava um, links to this the podcast show notes today. So if you um, if you're interested and you're on Strava, um, look on the podcast show notes after this, and you'll see two links um, to my Strava profile one of which is the year that i won it in 2018 sorry i got the date wrong it was 2018 is the year i won it um and the other link will be the link to this year which was a bit of a different uh, different scenario now the year i won it so i did 51.76 miles so basically 80k in four hours and five minutes um my average heart rate was 152 beats per minute my max was 175 um, and there is a plethora of comms uh, for that route. I got I got snapped up loads of King of the Mountains for the first 10K, the second 10K, the full lap and blah, blah, blah. Um, and there's some fantastic photos of me stood outside Birdsler State with my bike, uh, a loft bike above my shoulders with a big smile on my face. That was a fantastic year. Um very different to this year though <laughs> which i'll come on to in a second now the year after that so um the year after i won it um basically the event was gaining a lot more traction uh, there was a few better riders involved there was um a i believe i, I can't remember his name to be honest but there was the guy who won it the the year after was um an elite mountain bike cross country racer um very renowned for his results um and yeah I, I got smoked by him um i stayed with him and a couple of others for a lot of the race um but a couple of things went wrong mid race which cost me um and uh, and yeah i wasn't wasn't too happy with the result but i i crossed in in fifth which is still not too bad then we come on to this race this t- uh, this this year's race, which is what I'm going to be talking about today. Now, before I talk tell you about the result itself, um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about all the preparation which goes behind an event like this after I take a sip of my coffee. Okay, so... So, prep. Preparation. Now, when you've got a big event in the calendar and when you know that that event is very important to you and when you know that that event is going to be 
um, very tough. There's a lot of prep involved. Now, typically, as a general rule of thumb, the longer and harder the event, the more te the more preps involved. Um, if it's a short 10-mile time trial on the road bike, then, yeah, there's a lot of prep involved with regards to aerodynamics, kit selection, uh, and things like that. But there isn't too much worry with regards to things like on-the-day fueling and hydration, what you do the day before, how you taper into the event, because it's such a short race that, that that's not as physically demanding on your physiology over the course of that day. And as the um, event duration gets longer, any very small um, problem in your physiology or in your approach or in your prep can quite dramatically um, affect your performance on the day. Now, like I say, what I'm not going to do today is talk too much about the actual um, training that I did leading up to the event um, because we talk a lot about training on this podcast. Um, and yeah, if you're curious as to other things, then please do message me. But that would take a lot of my time to to talk you through all the, the, the prep that I did for that marathon. Um in sh I'll tell you a little bit about it after after I've explained uh, how the day went. Now, in terms of other prep involved with such an event like this, um, we have to consider things like my bike preparation, uh, my nutrition and hydration approach, and also um, more being more refined, what I did training-wise the week of the event and what I did of the morning of the event. Um, so let's not think about long-term training, but let's think about more in the short term. Okay, first of all, bike preparation. So I have a giant XTC Advanced 29er, um, which is an advanced grade carbon frame. Uh, feel free to Google search the bike. You'll see what it is. Um, it's a hardtail XC cross-country race bike uh 29 inch wheels i've got some mavic um mavic carbon wheels on there i've got um a rock shock reverb stealth dropper seat post on there with 175 mil drop i've got a very aggressive um aggressive uh, position on there with a negative stem um and some fairly flat bars I'm running 1x11 uh, Shimano XT on there with an 1142 on the back and a 34 on the front. Um, and uh, yeah, that gives me enough gears to get round um, absolutely fine. There's a couple of sections where admittedly a, a little bit lower gear would have certainly helped. But um, it was, yeah, it was enough for me to get around without having to get off the bike and without to push. Um, and, uh, and yeah, obviously a lot of bikes now are going for to 12 speed and I haven't made that conversion yet. Um, but it's something that I probably will do in the near future. Um, it was going to be a very dry and dusty day. So there was no, not too much worry about um, having an aggressive tread pattern. So I took the decision when I saw the forecast to 
um, go for a tire selection which was purely purely there for speed. So it was um, I raced with a um, Schwalb uh, Thunderbird tire, um, which is basically um, Schwalb's kind of fastest, driest tire. Uh, I think they might even do a faster one now, actually, but uh, which I can't think of off the top of my head. But it's basically got a, a, a small amount of um, side knob, so a similar kind of side profile like the um, uh, Racing Ralph does. For those who know mountain bike tires, <laughs> but the middle uh, profile of the tire is basically like a file tread, so um, very minimal tread, and they're very light. Um, but, uh, but yeah, still offer a little bit of side profile as well. Um, and yeah, they're, they're set up tubeless. And I was running, I think I ran roughly 18 PSI in the front and um, 19 and a half, 20 PSI in the back. Um, on the day of the race, I was 81 kilos, which is heavy. Um and when I tell people my weight, a lot of people are quite surprised. Uh, but yeah, I, I what's a better word? I carry my weight well. Um, a lot of people assume that I'm mid seventies when they look at me, but uh, yeah, I'm a little bit heavier than that. And yeah, that 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 weight doesn't help me on the climbs, of course. Um, but equally, I'm looking at other events and thinking, okay, well, I don't necessarily need to be light for for a lot of events that I'm targeting. So. Um, I wasn't in a position to compromise my performance elsewhere by really, really making sure that I was as light as possible for this event. Um, so yeah, so I went into the event with, with that bike set up. Um, I got a new chain cassette about a week before the race as well. Everything was set up. Everything was perfect. Um, puncture repair wise. Now, Obviously, it's a four, four and a half hour race um, and you've got to be fully self-sufficient. Um, puncture repair wise, you've kind of got to be a bit savvy here because obviously if you don't get a puncture, then you're carrying weight around for absolutely no reason whatsoever. So, But equally, if you get a puncture, you want to be able to fix it and you want to be able to fix it as fast as possible. Now, um, I just went with simple one 29 inch inner tube tapes to the bottom of my frame on my bike um and then i had two co2 canisters and a co2 adapter um in my back pocket um and then i had some of the little bits and baps such as a quick link for my chain um and and so on um obviously i was running tubeless so there's less chance of a puncture and if i did puncture hopefully the sealant would have sealed it and I could just bang a CO2 into my um, into my tyre to inflate that. But in the unlikely and unfortunate position I did get a puncture, I was able to change it. Um, I didn't get a puncture, thankfully. But it's kind of, you know, I could have taken a pump, I could have taken tyre levers, I could have taken multi-tool, I could have taken this and that. But ultimately, I, it's things like, you know, you don't want to carry what you don't particularly need. So, so yeah, so that was bike ticked off. It was well prepared and it was well, well sorted. Um, with regards to nutrition and hydration, um, now first things first, 
it was going to be a very hot day. The forecast for that day was mafting. Um, I think it maxed out at about 25, 26 degrees C, but next to no wind. Now, it was very humid. Um, it Yeah, it was very, very difficult to keep cool. Um, I'm generally quite good at racing in the heat, but... Um, but I must admit, the hot weather had been around for a good few weeks before this event, and it was really getting to me. You know, it makes me feel a bit crappy sometimes in an afternoon. Um, you know, when you've had a busy day and and there's no, no, um, no cool air. So, um, keeping on top of hydration for the event um, was the main thing that we needed to consider here. Um, I would. I would guess that at least 50% of the people who did that marathon would have turned up to that event already in a dehydrated state and already you're on the back foot. So, um, first of all, hydration, I turned up to that event fully hydrated. Um, my piss was crystal, crystal clear. <laughs> um, one thing to bear in mind though, as well, is that if you, so base in, in simple terms, the, the few days leading up to the event, you just make sure that you are drinking lots. You know, you, you um, I mean, on a normal day, let's say you drink two liters of water, um, you know, you might bump that up to three or four liters of water. Um, for me, I do actually um, circulate a lot of fluid. So I am one of those individuals who sweats a lot and therefore also needs to drink a lot. And I've got into a very good habit of drinking a lot of fluid. It just comes naturally. I'm, I'm one of those individuals that's nearly always thirsty. I can't go uh, for a 30-minute dog walk in the sun without getting thirsty after about 10 minutes. So I always take a bottle of water with me wherever I go, whether it's in the car, whether it's on a dog walk, wherever it might be. Um, but it's a good habit to get, habit to get into. Um, so for me, a typical um fluid intake for any day where it, even if i'm not training is upwards of four four liters of water um going into this event a couple of days before um you know i was up to five or six liters um now yes it sounds a lot but um that's what i needed in order to maintain proper fluid balance um now what we also need to consider is if you drink uh, five, six liters of pure water, you're very likely going to be flushing out a lot of um, uh, salts, a lot of electrolytes, and um, flowing your electrolyte balance off kelter a little bit. So what's definitely advised is even if you're not training, to also take some um, electrolyte supplementation uh, in the day's leading up to the event so as did i um the event was on the sunday uh from the friday saturday as i started upping my fluid intake i also started um dropping a little electrolyte tablet into into my drinks as well not every drink but let's say i have um a pint of water roughly every hour let's say every other pint or every third pint would have an electrolyte tablet in there. A little side note though, um, if you have a lot of electrolyte, don't buy your little tubes of um, 
I won't quote any brands, but don't buy the tubes of electrolyte tabs. They are so expensive. I see upwards of £10 being spent for 10 electrolyte tablets, you know, sometimes four or five quid. If you go on to a big brand such as My Protein or Bulk Powders, that's Bulk Powders, on search for that on the internet, you can get a huge, huge bag, like a kilo bag of electrolyte powder for, um, I think it's like a tenner for a massive bag. And that, that massive bag will do like hundreds of servings as opposed to 10. <laughs> and you just have a little scoop and you just put a scoop of unflavored electrolyte powder into your drink, mix it with some orange cordial or whatever you want to do, and jobs are good. Um, so yeah, so that's what I was uh, doing with regards to hydration. Now, um, following on with hydration during the race, um, I figured that I wanted to get through about um, a litre of water per hour, roughly. But again, it was based on thirst sensation to a point because my thirst sensation as an individual is, is very good. I, I'm very good at knowing when to drink. Um, some individuals aren't as good at that. And if you are one of those individuals, you do need to stick a lot more stringently to your sweat rate and and tapping into that a little bit more. But I know I know my sweat rate and I know how much I need to drink because I've tested it before and there is plenty of tests you can do. Um, but equally, I know that my sweat rate matches my thirst rate really, really good. So I drink when I'm thirsty. <laughs> to be honest, at an event like that, I'm always thirsty. So... I was taking my bottle on every single opportunity I could and having a good swig of that bottle. Um, now, um, but yeah, there was there was feed stops on the route. Some people were taking camelbacks, which is a good option. I just made the decision not to take a camelback on the basis that, um, yes, it's more convenient, but it weighs you down a hell of a lot and it makes you really hot. So my bike has got access for two bottles on the frame. So I just went for two 600 mil bottles of water. Um, and basically, yeah, when I ran out of those two bottles, when I did one lap, I had two bottles ready and waiting for me to refill uh, to just put back in my cages. Um, and there was also the optional feed stop at the halfway point of the lap to refill with water if I needed it as well. Okay, fueling. Now, everybody has a different rate at which um, they get through carbohydrates and they mop up carbohydrates in exercise. Um, and obviously, it also depends massively on the intensity of the in, in, um, exercise as well. Now, um, with regards to how much carbohydrates I had... Um, I worked out, I won't go through the ins and outs of the exact way I um, uh, calculated this, but I worked out that I wanted to be consuming at least 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour of the race. Now, if I was to be racing at full chatter, full gas, the whole race, I would need to be consuming about 80 to 100 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Um, but on the basis that 
it's slightly below full chatter, or at least it should be. Um, I'd be looking at about 60 to 70 grams of carbs per hour. Um, what does that look like? Now, for a lot of you will know what a gel is. Um, uh, if you were purely eating gels, that would be roughly three to four gels per hour. Um, three gels per hour kind of thing. Uh, so every 20 minutes. Now, um, a lot of people would just opt for gels. Um, personally, I am very bad with what we call palate fatigue. So if I just have the same thing or the same consistency or the f same food type over and over and over again, uh, I just get so sick of that flavor that I actually start to feel a bit nauseous with it. I start to uh, feel real sicky and I aren't good with stomaching gels in the first place. So um, not only from a preferential standpoint, but also from a physiological standpoint, I made the decision to vary my food intake quite a lot on the on the uh, event. So um, I won't go through the exact grams of carbs in each thing, but I started on, uh, well, sorry, going back a step with regards to fueling, the night before the event, I had um, basically a fairly simple meal. Um, it was like a chicken risotto with some veg in there. Um, but I had a slightly bigger portion than normal. Uh, I had plenty of easily digestible rice. Um, to be honest, there's nothing much you can do the night before. I think it's very much over-egged, you know, how important that last, uh, the evening meal is the night before an event. Um, the only thing you can, you should really, really, really try and avoid is things which are going to take multiple, multiple hours slash days to digest. So something like red meat, you would stay away from the night before an event. So like uh, steak, uh, beef, lamb, things like that, you would stay away from. Um, you want something that's really easy on the gut, fairly low in fiber. So I opted for like a white um, a white rice in a, in, in a form of risotto uh, with some chicken and some uh, courgette and tomato in there. It was like a, um, a tomato chicken risotto type thing. Because um, I know that in, uh, digests quickly and I know I've worked, I've worked on it before and it, and it works well for me. Um, and I had uh, a total of 130 grams of rice with that meal. So a fairly decent amount of, of carbohydrates in there. Um, the morning of the event, um, I have played around with this quite a lot before the race started at nine o'clock, um, at seven o'clock that morning, I had, um, rice krispies, believe it or not, rice krispies are absolutely fantastic. Now, I generally would advocate staying away from refined cereals. They're not the, the best, but one of the refined cereals that I would, I do have in my cupboard and I do regularly use is Rice Krispies. And the reason for that is it's very low in refined sugar. Um, it's incredibly easy on the gut. It digests really, really quickly and easily. 
and it's absolutely packed with really good carbohydrates. So I think, now don't quote me on this, but I think something like 100 grams of Rice Krispies is uh, like 80 grams of carbs, but only something like 15 grams of sugar or something. Um, whereas every other cereal is like really high in sugar um, and really high in loads of other crap that you don't really need. Um, whereas Rice Krispies is essentially just puffed rice. Um, so it, it's it's um, it's, a, it's certainly a good form of cereal. Now, so my morning, um, the race was at nine. I woke up at, I think, half five, um, had a black coffee, sat in the garden, relaxed a little bit, kind of planned uh, my race strategy, went over everything again, checked my bike over, had went for a little dog walk, and then I had my breakfast um, exactly two hours before the event, which was that Rice Krispies. I had 60 grams of Rice Krispies. And over that Rice Krispies, I poured a vegan protein shake um, with enough almond milk in there also to make the right consistency and enough milk in there. Um, now, why did I have a protein shake with my Rice Krispies? because it's going to be a long hard day on the bike and yes i need carbohydrates as my primary fuel source but also i need to consider that while i'm racing i'm not going to be having much protein because i don't need the protein to fuel the 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 work required while i'm racing and it's hard to digest so it makes sense to have a much bigger uh makes sense to have a decent um source of protein in my breakfast um why did I have a vegan protein shake with my Rice Krispies if I'm not uh, a vegan or on a plant-based diet? Purely because it digests a little bit easier for me. Um, although I have more whey protein than vegan blend protein on a whole, in a morning, first time, first feed, I find that vegan blend actually just sits a little bit better with my stomach. Um so I had like a, it was basically a chocolate flavored vegan blend of protein with some plain Rice Krispies um, and it hits the spot. It really does. It really works well uh, with some nice cold milk. Um, I had that and half a banana and then, yeah, within an hour, I felt like it was fully digested and, and out of the system kind of thing. So um, without being too graphic as well, that morning coffee just helped stimulate my digestive system a bit better and I managed to go to the toilet um, twice before the event which is always a good thing um, a lot of people will know what I mean uh, it's important that you um, digest and you let food go through through the system so that I knew that that evening meal was out of my system uh, before the race um i've been in positions before when i've started early morning races and not been to the toilet and it's not a nice place to be because you know that you're uh you're a bit stuffed up there um so um so yeah that was all positive morning and uh and i arrived at the event an hour before the before the start time um just starting to get a little bit hungry again which is a good thing because it means that that might that meals digested and assimilated well so about an 40 minutes before the event start time i also had a cinnamon and raisin bagel uh just with a little bit of butter and jam on it 
nice simple carbohydrates again easily digestible and just topped up those carbohydrate stores ready for the race intra-race then again to match that minimum of 60 grams of carbs per hour basically every 20 minutes to half an hour i was having either a sweet potato or a bar or a gel <laughs> um now oh tom why do you have sweet potato what you want about sweet potato that can't be very easy to eat uh okay yeah so for those who don't already know which to be honest a lot of my followers will know this recipe because well, it's not even a recipe it's just something that i do sweet potato i promise you is one of the easiest quickest best things you can eat on a bike the carbohydrate profile of sweet potato is fantastic and it digests really easily so all i do is i take a 200 to 250 gram sweet potato i chop the ends off it i cut it down the middle a little bit like halfway through lengthways and i peel it I then put that sweet potato in the microwave for roughly five minutes until it's cooked all the way through and make sure it is cooked all the way through. I then take it out of the microwave and I put a tiny bit of salt and honey down that cut, uh, cut part of the sweet potato. And that isn't essential. You can just have it plain, to be honest, but I think it just helps the flavor a little bit if you put a bit of salt and honey on it. Um, and then, yeah, that's, that's done. You let it cool and you put it in some cling film or some foil and put it in your back pocket. Right there, that gives you, depending on the size of the potato, like I say, I have about 200 to 250 grams. That gives you about 40, uh, 40 to 50 grams of carbs. Now, um, that again, the carbohydrate profile is perfect and it's something that you can easily just pop into your mouth it's something that you can easily just chew on and digest really quickly and it works really well. So um, not something I'd advocate in a short crit or potentially a road race because they're a bit faffy to get out um, of the foil and so on. But I knew that on this race there was chances on the fire roads and stuff to, to fish around in my pockets. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm... I'm confident with riding no-handed no while I get things out of my pockets kind of thing. If you're not so confident riding no-handed, you can only get one hand off. Fair enough. Uh, might not be the type of thing for you. Um, the other thing I was having was a cliff bar because uh, cliff bars are just really good for me. I, I really enjoy them. I like the flavor. Um, and Velo Forte bars, again, because it just it's a different, different flavor, different um, form of food. And I know that those two bars work well for me. And then also I was I, I was also having gels. I had two gels on the race, um, which were both torque gels. Because, again, I like torque gels. Um, and the, all of this food is obviously something that I've tried and tested in training. Um, tried and testing in training when going hard as well. So I know that I can digest them on, on the fly. And they work well for me. Um, caffeine wise caffeine is a massive stimulant and it massively masks your fatigue and helps energize and focus your mental attention to the race and physical performance um, caffeine wise other than the black coffee that I had first thing in the morning 
to stimulate stimulate digestion, uh, which was simply a double shot of espresso and water. Um, I also made myself one more coffee on the drive to the event. And then during event, I popped uh, a 200 milligram tablet of caffeine just before the event started, which basically peaked about an hour after I took it. Um, and that was it. Um, I did actually have another gel later on in the event with about 75 milligrams of caffeine in just to keep that topped up towards the end. Um, and, and yeah, and to be honest, preparation wise with regards to nutrition and hydration, it was absolutely spot on. Like I, I couldn't fault it. Um, in terms of my training leading up to this event, um, I've just got my training peaks open here. Um, one week before the event, so the Sunday before, I did a three-hour hard mountain bike ride. This was to closely simulate what I would do in the marathon. I did some hard efforts in there. I did some, obviously it was three hours long, and I also simulated the kind of things that I would be eating in the marathon itself just to kind of go over that as well. It was a hot day. I drank lots of fluid. I ate lots of food. And I simulated that marathon as closely as I possibly could. Then it came to the Monday. I just did some strength and conditioning work in the gym. The Tuesday, I did a endurance ride, but also some efforts in there. The Wednesday, I had as a rest. The Thursday, I did some mountain bike intervals, but short and sharp intervals within a two-hour mountain bike ride. The Friday, I had a full rest day. The Saturday, I did a pre-race ride. Um, the pre-race ride, uh, so the, 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 the ride that I do the day before an event, is typically about an hour to an hour and a half in duration and has it's mostly kind of easy zone two riding but also includes a few like activation efforts in there as well so if i look back to the um the activation ride that i did the day before the event um it was an hour long on the mountain bike basically just testing out the um the equipment that i had set up on mountain bike making sure everything was running smoothly most of it was zone two, but I did a few surges and a few little rev outs just to prime my legs. And I was feeling good. Mentally and physically, I was in a good position. Um, okay, let's fast forward to when the gun goes off. <laughs> um, so I'm at the start line. I'm feeling good. I know I'm well hydrated. I know I'm well fed. I know my bike is working mint. The weather is hot. Um, I'm having a bit of banter with the other people on the start line. I'm in a good position and fairly confident. Now, I'm looking around me and I know that there's um, a lot of strong riders here. There is at least, I'm looking around, there's at least two or three riders who I know are going to probably beat me purely because I know they're fitter and stronger than I am. But... Um, there's also a few people I'm looking around, which I know I'm on a very s similar kind of fitness level to, and I know I want to beat them. So where does that put me? So that puts me in a position where I know I'm not going to win, or it's very unlikely that I'm going to win. 
but I'm very happy if I get a top five and I'm also very happy if I race well and I race well for myself. Um, so that's where I, I kind of, uh, that's where I, I, I stood and, and, I, and I approached that event with that kind of mindset. Um, the gun, the gun went off. We all set off, and uh, basically, you go down a road for roughly a minute or two minutes, and it's very fast because it's mostly downhill, um, and everyone's sorting themselves out and jostling for position a little bit, and then you hit the first climb. Now, the first climb, I think, is roughly um, eight to ten minutes long. Um, it starts fairly moderate and then it ramps up, ramps up, ramps up, gets steeper and steeper and it's very tough uh, towards the end. And it does sort the men out from the boys. Uh, if you want to win it, you've got to be in that front group. You've got to be at the front because if you get behind someone who's slightly slower than you, you get, you get stuck behind them. Um, it's very, very difficult to then get back on to that lead group. And I knew that from, from future, um, future events. Um, now, although I knew I wasn't going to win it, um, it's one of those, it's one of those situations where even though I knew I wasn't, wasn't going to win it, I also knew that I didn't want to be right off the back foot. I knew I needed to be somewhere there or thereabouts because if I was, if I did get caught behind someone who was significantly slower than me, I could have lost five minutes on the, those key people by the time we got to the top of the climb. Um, we went off and in the back of my head, I knew, I knew that fitness wise, I was there. What I, the unknown going into that event, the unknown, and I know I haven't talked much about training. The unknown was, I didn't know how I was going to cope with the volume, the total distance. Um, because training wise I, for one reason or other overall life stresses my daughter being here now and time commitments i haven't been able to get in many long rides so in typical other years when you know i've been uh, i've had a normal normal year i've been getting out on roughly two rides a week which have been over 3 4 hours and those rides have also have had efforts in there as well. This year, I haven't done that. This year, I've done maybe, <laughs> I think I've done, I was looking back at my training peaks, I think I've done something like four rides in total, which have been over three hours in a year. And and um, to, be, to be quite honest, as much as I've got some good underlying endurance base now from all the years that I've been doing this, um, I was apprehensive on just how much my endurance performance might have dipped over this period. Um, now, there's a lot you can do to help your endurance performance by doing short, sharp stuff. And I know that my top end's good. I know that my numbers are good over that hour or two hour period. But I always knew that that second lap was going to be the, the big question mark. But so... <laughs> The sensible part in me said, don't go off too hard because the second lap's going to be tough and you don't want to burn all your matches. 
the racer in me and the unwise little devil on my shoulder said go hard you don't want to get dropped off the first climb because you're never going to get back on again <laughs> and when we all went off that red red mist descended and i went off pretty hard now i must admit i didn't go out all guns blazing so if we consider heart rates if i'm racing a cyclocross race the first few laps of a cross race i'll be at about 190 beats per minute my threshold heart rate is about 170 beats per minute. Um, and up that first climb, I looked down and my heart rate was about 180. Now, I knew that it would be a lot higher for the first climb and then it would plateau a little bit. So that was kind of fine. And, and, and I, was a, I was happy to go a bit over into the red for the first half an hour. Um, but um, yeah, there was a couple of people around me that I knew I wanted to try and beat and they were pressing on up the climb as well. Um when I'm on form and when I'm fit, I can go into the red that much uh, and, and, and recover from it and do it again and again and last it four hours. Truth be told, like I say, I was going up that first climb thinking, holy shit, like, yeah, this isn't too bad and I can hang this pace, but can I hang it for four hours? And how is this, how is this pace going to affect me towards the latter part? Um, because, you know, there's only so much carbohydrate you can eat and there's only, you know, part of it is, yeah, getting in the carbs, but part of it is overall fatigue and the accumulation of that fatigue over the duration. Um, and once you've burnt so many matches, if you're not fit enough, you've only got four or five matches to burn as opposed to 10 or 12. Um, so yeah, so went up the first climb I think I was in something like fourth or fifth position after the first climb. And to be honest, I felt mint. Like, I felt really good still. Uh, we entered the first descent. I felt technically fine. Wasn't making any mistakes. Bike felt mint. Um, about 25 minutes into the event, I took my first sweet potato. I'd already had about half my bottle um, and felt good in the stomach, felt good in the legs. We were all we we're all singing and dancing, really. Um, now about halfway through the first lap, so roughly an hour and ten minutes into the uh, race, um, is the first first feed stop. Now I had two six hundred mil bottles with me, and I decided that that was enough uh, to not need that first feed stop. Obviously, if I don't I just need to stop at that first feed, I'm saving uh, something like thirty seconds a minute. Uh, so. I rode straight past that first feed stop. Um, by that point, I'd nearly finished one bottle, but I had another second bottle to go. So happy days. You know, I've still got plenty of fluid because when I pass the start finish line to start my second lap, I've got two fresh bottles sat there waiting to go with carb electrolyte mix in there as well. Um, so I went straight past that first feed stop. Um when I went past that first feed stop, I took a swig of the last little remaining bit of my first bottle while I was on the road and then swapped my two bottles over so that my full bottle was now at the front. Uh, if you think about the, the bike, it was it was on the down tube um, and the empty bottle was on the seat tube. I turned left and I descended what was probably one of the fastest descents on the course, a little bit rough. 
um, and got to the bottom field, pedaling along, um, and there, little get it kind of plateaus a little bit, and there's another opportunity to take a swig of the drink. Now you got to, you got to imagine when you're doing some technical descents now and again, some rough terrain, and it's intertwined with road sections or flatter sections. There's only certain sections where you can actually take a hand off and grab a drink, because otherwise you'll crash. So you've got to pick your drink spots wisely. Sometimes you might not even need a drink, but you need to take one because you know it's going to be a couple of minutes before you can next have a drink. And also sometimes you've got to actually just delay your drink a little bit to get to the next appropriate place to drink. Anyway, the road, the we went down this fast descent. The descent plateaued a little bit at the bottom, and then suddenly we get to a stage where um, we're at the bottom of the the valley and i think right i'll take an, op an opportunity to take a swig of my drink again i reach down and there's nothing there there is nothing there my bottle had jumped out of my friggin bottle cage fuck twat oh my goodness i'm sorry for swearing that moment was an absolute massive panic <laughs> now i didn't notice that bottle uh, jump out my bottle cage. I didn't feel it. I didn't see it. And to be honest, no idea where it happened. I had a good idea where it happened because on that descent, which happened about two minutes ago, there was a pretty rough part where it was probably the most likely place for it to, um, to come out. Now, was I in a position to go back and go and get my bottle? No, I absolutely was not. Um, because the the place that I think it fell out was pretty long grass and it was also two minutes in the wrong direction. So that would be two minutes at least going back the other way, two minutes coming back again. So that's four minutes lost, probably another at least five minutes trying to find the frigging bottle and I might not only might not find the bottle anyway. So um, I decided not to go back and try and find it. Uh, which, honestly, I think that was still definitely the right decision um, because it, it would have been stupid to try and, try and find it again. But basically, what that meant is I had about 40 minutes worth of riding left of that lap with absolutely no fluid on a 26-degree day in really bad heat, no wind. Now, to tell you the truth, as well hydrated as I was by that point, I knew, I knew full well that that 40 minutes was going to dehydrate me. 40 minutes of exercise like that was going to dehydrate me. What I did do is I backed off ever so slightly to account for that. Um, not by much, admittedly, but I was still hovering in around fifth, sixth place and feeling okay. I came to the start finish line where my bottles were and... Um, Bear in mind, I had two bottles ready to just put in my bottle cages. Um, first of all, I put those two bottle cages. I got, I grabbed those two bottles, put them in my bottle cages. I also took the spare bottle that was still on my bike, which was empty, filled that up with pure water. So saved, um, lost a little bit of time there, and just downed 600 ml of water straight off to just try and get that back. I then set off um, again with two full bottles. Um, but to tell you the truth, 
I was just chasing hydration for the rest of the race. Once you have got the point of dehydration, um, you really will struggle getting it back while you're racing um, because your sweat rate is already at such a high level that you're, you're forever chasing, you're forever trying to get it back. And um, as, as much as I was drinking constantly or trying to drink constantly, because I was still sweating at such an amazing rate, and if anything, my sweat rate weight had increased since I started, it was just becoming harder and harder to keep on top of that hydration. Um, so, so yeah, so so that was without doubt a major factor involved with my um, fading of performance. So, I took that those bottles. I went past the past the start finish area um i set off my second lap and to be honest the fatigue hit me like a brick wall it wasn't due to lack of carbohydrates i think it was mainly well the fact that the the involving factors for the fatigue was dehydration overall heat exhaustion and to be honest, lack of overall training volume. I wasn't accustomed to that sheer amount of uh, intensity over that duration. I'd had that intensity many times before, but not past two hours. So yeah, it started to really get to me. And every passing pedal stroke got harder and harder. Every passing pedal stroke got more and more fatigue, more and more tiredness and more and more absolute pain in the legs in the lungs and everything i was sweating out of every single orifice i was so hot i couldn't couldn't uh, cool down at all um my headache got really bad actually my headache i really came on really badly and to be completely truthful and honest if i wasn't a cycling coach i absolutely would have given up there was lots of opportunities, lots of signs where it says escape route this way, where you can take a quicker alternative back to the start. And I was in such a hole, I was in such a, a negative place, both mentally and physically, that I wanted to just get get back as soon as I possibly could. Um, and it, you know it's bad when your mind starts drifting off. You start thinking about other things. You start thinking about what you've got to do on the Monday and... And I started asking myself, what's the point? What's the point? Obviously, by this point, people were passing me left, right and center. I went from fifth or sixth place back to 10th. And, and I, to be honest, I don't even know what place I got. I didn't check. I haven't checked the results yet. It's not a result I'm happy with. One of my mates came flying past me like I'm stood still. I couldn't respond. I didn't have the, any energy to respond whatsoever. One of my clients came flying past me with about, 15 20 minutes to go and i had no response whatsoever again um i had absolutely no energy to give i was i was just so sapped of everything i was literally turning pedals and climbs where on the first lap i was flying up i was barely getting up um it was a horrible place to be such overwhelming sensation of fatigue um so yeah so very very frustrating race and I look back on it now, and like I say, I, I named those three main factors, dehydration, heat exhaustion, 
and overall lack of training time. It wasn't down to preparations such as nutrition, hydration going into the event. It was obviously that that unlucky unlucky um, situation where my bottle bounced out. One thing that I need to bear in mind for next time is that I need to make sure I've got a bottle cage on that make you know holds holds my bottle in better. Um, but but yeah, aside from that, there's not much else I could have done to prepare better other than frigging ride my bike more. <laughs> but as you listeners will understand that are regular listeners or that follow, I've got a four-month-old four daughter and she's taking a lot of my priority right now. She is um, taking a lot of my time, which I would otherwise be spent cycling. And it's a compromise I'm more than happy to be prepared to, to take. Um you know, it, it was a, it, in the short term, yes, I'd have preferred to do much better in this race, but in the long term, what's it about? You know, I, I'd, I'd prefer to, I'd prefer to invest that, that extra training time that I would have spent, you know, nurturing my daughter and, and giving her the life that, um, and helping her development and, and helping Becky out. So, and not only that, Work's been very fluid, very busy the past few months as well. On top of the the having the daughter, so um, it's a question of priority priorities. So um, yeah, I I am just dishing out that priority and that time commitment into other places, I guess. Um, but yeah, that gives you a um, a summary of, of of how the the race went for me, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast thinking about entering that event or you have entered that event and want some tips, um, it's something that you need to consider. Don't go off too hard. Prepare for the race in the short term, just like I did with regards to nutrition and hydration um, and bike prep going into the event. But consider that you do need to get that total training volume in. So you need to be able to get in three or four hour rides every cup you know, a couple of times a week, if you want to perform well in that event, the winner of the event, you know, um, he's a very good marathon, uh, racer and he, you know, I can guarantee his total training volume will be at least twice mine or three times mine. He will have that, uh, higher endurance base and that ability to press the pedals hard for a longer period of time than I will. You know, my, my, my performance this year, is very good over well it's it's okay i'm happy with it over 45 minutes an hour to an hour and a half with intermittent effort in there but as soon as it gets over that hour and a half two hour point i just don't have that overall training volume in the legs this year and that like i say that's a compromise i'm prepared to make but equally i should have known that going into this event and i shouldn't have been all giddy thinking that i can push hard like i can in previous years when I know I haven't got that volume in the legs. So I think that's the best summary of, of my performance. <laughs> like I say, if you're interested, I'll put both Strava links on on this uh, on this bio, on this uh, podcast description. So feel free to have a look at that. Um, and you can compare both races. Um, but yeah, it was um, a tough day out. I would recommend doing that event though. It's a fantastic event. 
And, um, you know, obviously I've, I've given it a bit of a negative spin here because of how, how much I suffered in that second lap. Um, but yeah, we live to tell another day. And at the end of the day, it was a fantastic race. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I've now recovered. I've had a couple of days easy doing, I think I ran on month. Yeah. I ran yesterday and then I went and did a gym session today and then tomorrow I'm back on the bike had a couple of easy training days and now we're um we're going back into it uh, as of tomorrow training hard again and we look towards my next event um but until next time thank you very much for listening um oh before i forget actually we've got i was going to rattle through some um questions that you asked on my instagram uh instagram account the other day um a few weeks ago, I put out a QA and a uh, on my Instagram stories for the next podcast, and I almost forgot, but I'm going to reel through those um, reel through those responses now. I'm just going to do four today because um, I'm mindful of time, and I'm going to be qu- pretty quick with my responses. So um, the first question literally just says, <laughs> deload weeks, recovery, etc. Now, that isn't a question in my mind. Um, but I assume that he's asking about how to manipulate, uh, your weeks to intertwine recovery and, um, to get the most out of your performance kind of thing. So I'll give you a rough summary of, of generally how I, how I prescribe most of my clients. Um, most of my clients adopt like a, a four week hard, one week easy principle, um generally but this does differ quite significantly depending on uh the year depending on training cycles depending on where their races lie and depending on their calendar as well so you know if every single week was the same and you had uh you know one race every week on a sunday for example then generally speaking yeah three weeks of progressive training and and harder overall training stress and then one week uh deload where training stress gets knocked back by about 30 40 percent and then you then ramp up again um now when when athletes go into the race season and they're already at a very high level they're racing quite regularly that kind of goes askew and you don't need to intertwine these um big periods of recovery quite as significantly instead recovery is more on a micro level so you intertwine more recovery within the week to prioritize quality within the training block rather than um rather than kind of a cumulative fatigue um so that's a rough overview but it does differ massively depending on the individual depending on uh the time of year depending on what they're targeting and things like that. So it's very hard to give a, a an exact um, example or answer to that question. Um, next question is how long should you leave between eating and training on your bike? Now, again, it obviously massively depends on what you eat. Um, it also depends on your individual digestion rate. But um, so for... And I kind of explained a little bit about this earlier in the podcast when I talked about what I ate. Now, something like uh, Rice Krispies will digest a lot quicker 
than something like um, pasta. Something like pasta will digest a lot quicker than something like chicken. Something like chicken would digest a lot faster than something like steak. So there's like a scale on how fast things digest. Um, and if you just literally Google something like um, digestion rate of foods, um, it's heavily intertwined with uh, the GI scale and the um, glycemic load scale, sorry. Um, it's basically dependent on what proportion of carbohydrates sugar is in a food and also what proportion of fiber is in a food. Um, but it does vary quite a lot. And it's also individual. Like, for example, for me personally, white rice digests a lot faster than white pasta. But for under other individuals, white pasta and white rice might digest a very similar rate. Um, so as a general rule of thumb, no matter what you've eaten, um, unless it's a very light snack, I would always leave about two hours. So what I mean by that is for a meal. So if you have your lunch and your lunch is a sandwich or your lunch is some uh, tuna pasta or some rice with some chicken, I would always leave a minimum of two hours before training or racing. That being said, that's not to suggest that you couldn't have um, you couldn't have your lunch like four hours before and then have a light snack half an hour before. And by a light snack, I mean a banana or an energy bar or some rice cakes or something. So for a big meal, two or three hours. For a light snack, half an hour or so, um, whatever it might be. Um, one of my clients asked, just out of interest, what is the height of your saddle from center of bottom bracket? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, height of my saddle from center of bottom bracket. To be honest, I actually work it out a little bit differently. I do it from pedal spindle when my pedal's at the bottom of the crank arm. So I'm literally got my calculator in front of me. I'll do, because the measurement that I do is um, nine nine five uh minus one seven five which is the length of my crank arm so that the the height of my uh saddle from center of bottom bracket is 820 mil so 82 centimeters um yeah from bottom bracket to top of the saddle um yeah, I'm quite a lanky guy. Um, tips. So last question. Tips for first race. Open brackets. Just signed up for the Critter Ennerdale. Will the 3-4 cat race still be chaotic and fast? Um, I won't lie to you. <laughs> as much as I'd like to say, oh yeah, it'll be fine, you'll do the three four the the third four cat racing uh crit racing is um is pretty brutal to be honest um it's very um intermittent now um the main difference i find with regards to looking at power profiles between like e12 crit racing and 34 racing is that e12 racing is so let's take, for example, Ennerdale, because this guy's talking about Ennerdale here. I've had clients who have raced 
a 3-4 race and the E12 race, both on the same day, um, same client. And the average normalized power for the 3-4 race has been significantly higher than the E12 race, even though the average speed of the E12 race is significantly higher. <laughs> so higher average normalized power in the 3-4 race, but lower average speed. Now, the reason for that is that 3-4 racing typically is much more intermittent uh, effort. So someone will have a pop. But then as soon as someone has a pop, every single person chases. They all chase, they catch. As soon as they catch, there's a bit of a lull. Everybody goes right down to 20 mile an hour. And then 30 seconds later, someone else has a pop. Everybody chases. As soon as they get brought back, there's a lull for a few minutes and then another person has a pop. And that just repeats all the way through until there's a bunch sprint. With E12 races, typically, typically, there's a couple of chances, but not everybody chases. A few groups form, which might get brought back. And then there's always typically one group which will form to a stronger mini group of maybe three, four, five people, which will end up breaking away, sticking to that break and being the winning move. It doesn't always happen like that, of course, but typically what happens. Um, and, and to be honest, why is that? I think it's because in free, free fall racing, um, there's a lot of strong riders who can't race for one um also nobody likes to stick to a move when they think they're getting brought back they just give up um also nobody likes to work when they're in a group up the road on a free fall race um and yeah in any one two races i think people are a bit more savvy with it they they know who's strong they when a strong rider goes another person isn't afraid to follow that move and try and use their two two or three individuals strong riders to work together really efficiently to try and pull away from the peloton um but yeah just because it's a lower category race i personally think doesn't mean it's going to be a an easier race that being said you ask for tips to try and help you out first things first do not find yourself at the back of the peloton and think that that's going to save you energy by drafting wheels because it's not make sure that you are at this at the front of that group um by front i don't mean front front first person i mean potentially third fourth fifth sixth wheel um somewhere at the front of that group reason being you get you stop that concertina effect some people can't corner for shit so they go around a corner they lose a wheel they have to sprint back on um make sure that you're at the front of that group first of all um be efficient with your cornering learn how to corner and corner fast and corner with speed know the course um because the the, the more efficient you are with the cornering the, the the easier you'll be able to stay with the group the easier you'll be able to um maintain speed maintain position um and yeah also just <sighs> Try and relax as much as you can. Um, 
there's so much nervous energy at these races and uh you know it, it makes you think that you need to respond to everything but especially in three four races if somebody goes it's very likely that somebody else is going to want to chase and therefore you'll end up the whole group will want to to pick up and just be at the front of that group ready to gradually respond to these moves as they come um if the person who've asked this question, and, and to be honest, I don't know who's asked this question very well. If you are a very fit individual, don't be afraid to make moves yourself. Um, but also, don't be afraid to respond to moves straight away when they happen, and then try and make something of it. If you've got, if you've seen another individual who's always keen to get away, res go, try and go with them straight from the off, and and work with them until you're both absolutely on the rivet because to be honest you're only ever going to get away if you're both absolutely on the rivet um and if you're a bit blowy and you think people are catching you don't just give up keep pushing on um only ever give up if the peloton gets within 10 15 meters of you because if it's any more than that you've still got a chance and often the peloton might get pretty close and everybody eases up a little bit and then another move will go and if you can follow that one that's often the best way um other little key tips i guess is um if a move's just got brought back and you look around and everyone's blowing a gasket literally go as soon as that move gets brought back or just before that move get brought back that's always a good time to go um other than that, enjoy it. Don't be too nervous. I know it's easy to say, but at the end of the day, you're doing it because you enjoy it. You're there to socialise, have a crack with people. Don't be that guy who turns up with his rollers. Uh, I mean, without doubt, make sure you're warmed up effectively and do warm up effectively. But don't be that guy who's just really unsociable and, and uh, just likes to keep to himself through himself and never talks to anyone and always has a sad look on his face because it's never nice to see. Um be sociable with everyone, warm up appropriately, be ready to go off hard. Um, but uh, yeah, aside from that, have a bit of fun. That's the podcast done and dusted today. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, sorry, listening, not watching, listening. Um, I'm going to go and get some lunch because I'm absolutely ravenous. Um, and uh, yeah, bear with me on the content for these because to be honest... Um, life is very hectic at the minute on top of everything else i'm also moving house very shortly we are moving to beverly from cottingham um we've had our offer accepted on a house we are upsizing slightly and um i'll keep things fairly quiet at the minute but uh basically i'm going to be setting up a uh the edge coaching new lab from home where I do all uh, testing and bike fits from home. So that'd be a really good environment to work from. Um, so yeah, there's a lot on the cards. There's a lot's going to be happening and um, and a lot to go go from. Um, I am still intending on doing that new mini-series on preparing for events, um, things to consider and how to bring your best performance to certain race days and training days. Um, but I hope today gave you a bit of an insight into all of the things that go on behind the scenes which no one talks about it's hard for a performance coach like me and an athlete like me to talk about a race 
that went negatively for me. It's very easy just to come on and talk about some races that went well, but last Sunday went really badly and uh, I know why and I'm happy for that to, to happen now and again because I learn from it, I reflect on it, I learn from it and I won't let it happen again. But until next time, thank you very much and see you again.